0: Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Sheep Thrills. My name is Emily Lamb and this is the Stimmy Baby episode. Uh, So we've got a lot lot to talk about today, a lot happened this week. Uh, The main thing that happened is that we finally have a stimulus package. Um, The American Rescue Plan has officially been signed into law by President Biden um, and so we've got a lot to talk about with that. Uh, We also have some stuff to talk about in terms of Uh, Joe Biden's cabinet picks and what's going on with the government actually being fully built built up now that we are 50 days into the Joe Biden presidency. Um, And also, as I'm sure you guys all know, um, this is this weekend is marking one year of the pandemic. uh, So I just want to do a little bit of a year in review, talk about where we've been, where we're going um, and kind of what's what's changed over the last year. So, first of all stimulus package. We did it. We finally got there. Everyone is getting a check. Um, So the American Rescue Plan, as I said, literally just got signed into law uh, Thursday night uh, by Joe Biden. And this was after like a several week negotiation process in Congress, obviously. Um, And then that's on top of the months of negotiations that happened during Donald Trump's presidency, uh, where obviously everyone was able to get a $600 check, um, but they obviously wanted to push for more, um, benefits for American people. So first of all, just like a really brief overview of what's actually in the stimulus package. It is a 1.9 trillion dollar package, which I don't even, I can't even comprehend how much money that is. Um, that is such a large number. it, It is crazy, but it has a lot in it that is actually going to, you know, help the American people, which is, as I've said repeatedly, the point of the government is to help the people. So the main thing that everyone wants to know about um, is that that $1.9 trillion includes a $1,400 check to most Americans. Um, I'm not going to get into all the specifics because I don't, think you guys care but basically it's uh it's on like a sliding scale depending on your income level or your income bracket um and it's also it changes depending on whether you have a partner how many kids you have and all that kind of stuff so um but generally 1400 dollar check to most americans which will be hitting people's bank accounts starting this weekend hopefully which is pretty exciting um it also extends unemployment insurance um, and also allocates like billions of dollars for coronavirus testing, uh, which is really important because now that we are getting to the point where people are getting vaccinated, I could definitely see that there's going to be a little bit less of an emphasis on getting tested. Um, and we need to be making sure that even while vaccine vaccinations are going up, people aren't also continuing to get the virus. And if we're, you know, identifying new strands and those new strands aren't being able, to, aren't being... Um, affected by the vaccine that we're going to have those issues so it's really important that we continue to be really aggressive with testing um and so hopefully all of this support for local governments is really helpful um and there is like also a lot of money that is going to local governments um generally for um coronavirus funding um, and just making sure that testing is happening and vaccinations are happening but also um, there's money allocated for infrastructure development and for um, housing and other things like that that local governments can control um, and there was some controversy about that within the negotiations because they were worried that any funding that was given to local governments wouldn't just be used for you know coronavirus testing and, and the, the important things and it was going to be you know, allocated in the wrong way, uh, but eventually that provision did get passed. Um, the other important thing about the checks is that there is like a narrower eligibility um, for people who are able to be qualified to get the checks. Um, there was, you know, the, the, the moderate Democrats, especially in the Senate, Kristen Sinema, uh, who we will talk about, um, and like Joe Manchin, they were concerned that having a stimulus check that goes to like most Americans um, would result in, you know, the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, which is untrue. But in order to like appease those that like that, that group of Democrats, uh, Joe Biden did allow for the um, there to be like a stricter limitation on who's able to get the check. So now like the threshold is a little bit higher in terms of who qualifies. Um, that's just another important thing to say is that there was a lot of um, negotiations and a lot of uh, compromises in terms of a, a lot of these provisions. Um, so while, again, like the vast majority of what the Democrats wanted did get passed, I mean, it it is a $1.9 trillion bill, so they really didn't have to give up much. Um, but there are a bunch of kind of slight provisions that moderate Democrats needed in order to pass it. One of those things that we'll talk about a little bit later is the minimum wage, right? If if that minimum wage provision was able to get into the stimulus package, there's no way that we would know for sure um, that the bill would have even passed the Senate um, and whether it would have passed the House. And obviously that's a much larger compromise, um, but I still think that it's it's important to note how frankly, little the Democrats gave up, um, which, you know, we have all three branches of the government, we're able to get legislation through. um, And I think that's something that's really important. There is obviously there's always going to be criticism of the fact that it should be $2,000 monthly checks, Uh, there should be the minimum wage provision, there should be a bunch of different things within um, this bill. Um, But I still think that it's really important that we acknowledge how groundbreaking this is and how impossible like this would never ever have happened 4 months ago. Um like we're really at a point where we can legislate and we can get bills through Congress. Um and you know, I saw a um I saw like an infographic or something that was noting the how many days it took to pass major legislation in each presidency and for um you know, Obama, it was 300 days. For Trump, it was, you know, 150 days. I'm making these numbers up. I truly don't know off the top of my head. Um, but the point was that Joe Biden's number is 50. 50 days into his presidency, he was able to pass this major piece of legislation. Um, And it was a lot less than other presidencies. And obviously this is something that was much needed uh, and everyone was kind of chomping at the bit to get it done. Um, So it wasn't like there was much of a push in terms of policy, I guess. Um, It was just more the politics that they had to work out. But I think it's still important. Uh, And it just goes to prove that elections matter, right? We voted for this president, we voted for the Senate, we voted for this House that actually was able to pass legislation and get things done, which is pretty good. I feel pretty good about it, at least. Um, And it's, Anyway, this is a little bit of a tangent, um, but I just think that it's important to acknowledge that, well, it's not perfect. It is not 100% perfect. Um, it's not a it's not a bill that's like the best bill ever in the history of the world, but it is pretty dang good. Um, and I think that we need to give it a little bit more credit. Um, again, I, I recognize that I'm in a little bit of a silo in terms of the voices that I hear, um, but people are people need to go outside, touch some grass, get off their computers for a little bit because I don't think that they are acknowledging how groundbreaking this bill is. Um, So anyway, slight tangent on that. Um, That's basically the stimulus package. That's what's in it. That's the significance in that sense. Um, How did it come to be? Crazy craziness on C-SPAN basically. But. What ended up happening was that uh, you know, the original bill passed the House, went to the Senate. Everyone knows how a bill becomes a law, we don't really need to get into that, but um in the Senate they basically tried to pass a whole bunch of um different provisions. So they did what they called a votorama and they had it was like eighteen hours of straight voting. Um, on all of these different amendments that different senators wanted to include. Um, just, it was, like, it was crazy. And there was so much going on there that I really, like, can't even um, talk about all of the things that they voted on. But basically, the most important thing that they voted on was the minimum wage. Um, and uh, Bernie Sanders offered the amendment um, to increase the minimum wage to $15, but did, obviously did not get enough support to get it passed in, Um and obviously, this was after the Senate parliamentarian said that um, the bill couldn't include the fifteen dollars minimum wage because of, you know, antiquated Senate rules, which I talked about last week. So I won't get into. Um, but basically, Bernie Sanders was like, "Screw that! I'm going to try to get this amendment in anyway." Um, and basically, they just did not get enough support, um, and the the Kristen Cinema, uh Joe Manchin voted against it. Uh Kristen Cinema, I'm sure you guys have seen the video on Twitter um of her voting no, kind of like bouncing up to the to the dais and then giving a little thumbs down and and then walking away and it just everyone got pretty a pretty much a bad taste in their mouths because the whole point of the minimum wage is to lift like something like 32 million Americans out of poverty. Um and the way she voted on it was just like so joyful. Um, And so, like, upbeat and happy, and it was just very um, jarring to see, because um, obviously there was a very, there was a big tone difference between what she was voting on and her behavior. Um, And, you know, I won't get into, like, hashtag girlboss culture, because it annoys me and I don't want to talk about it, but it is kind of somewhere in that vein of, like, you can't be a, you know, a female icon if you're not helping actually bring about change that's going to help real women um anyway our first openly bisexual senator and she's a little bit disappointing but it's all right her election's coming up in arizona the other thing that's annoying about Kristen cinema is that she supported increasing the minimum wage like you know Ten years ago, a couple years ago, and then she became a senator and she thought that, okay, well, in order to keep my seat, I have to be against the minimum wage. I have to be so extremely moderate um, that I get reelected and that's just it's so frustrating because if it's something that you genuinely believe, if you believe that increasing the minimum wage is a good thing and the only reason you're going to vote against it is because you're afraid of losing your seat, then I don't think you deserve your seat and I've said this over and over again in past episodes, but you just, you need to have a backbone and you need to vote in, first of all, the way that your constituents want and something like 75% of American people want the minimum wage increase or they think that the minimum wage should be increased. And second of all, you need to vote your conscience. And If you're not voting your conscience, if you're not voting and doing what you think is genuinely best for the American people, you're voting to to save your own skin, to do what's genuinely best for you, then you need to to get out of Congress, you need to go back to Arizona, and you need to make way for somebody who will genuinely put people's interests first before their own. And that's the biggest issue with American politics, um, is that nobody, very few people, are able to put the people's interests over their own. Um, yeah. So that's, that's just like a, a Chris, Kristen cinema rant, um, as I'm sure you guys all expected me to do. Um, but anyway, long story short, there's no minimum wage in this bill. Um, and then after, like, you know, again, many, many, many hours of voting and debate, um, the Senate passed the bill fifty one fifty with Kamala Harris casting the tie breaking vote, which goes right back to what I was talking about in terms of the fact that hey, elections are important. elections can actually influence policy because if we had a republican um cast a Republican vice president casting that tie breaking vote, uh nobody would be getting any money so well again, like a lot of the criticisms of this bill are extremely valid. Um, I do think that the minimum wage increase should have been included. Um, I do think that maybe the checks should have been slightly larger and given to more people. Um, just generally, I think there maybe could have been more added to it. Um, I think that what we got is extremely important. Um, and to, to say that, oh, we'll, we might as well not even have a bill if we're not getting $2,000 a month and we don't have the minimum wage increase, I think is extremely, um, it's frustrating, because. There's so much in here that is actually going to help real people. And I'm not sure, you know, I, I saw someone say, you know, $1,400 is a lot for poor people and also not a lot for poor people. So, like, it's it's important to acknowledge the fact that this amount of money is actually going to help people. Um, but we also can't stop at just this one $1,400 check. We need to be continuing to supplement it with more housing assistance and more unemployment insurance and all of the different things that are going to help people really get back onto their feet. So that's, an you know, just important conversation to have about um, the, the overall impact of this bill. So after it passed the Senate, I uh, went back to the House, obviously passed, uh, I think it was 220 to 211, um, and Joe Biden signed it into law Thursday night. So it is, it is officially law. Um, and checks are going to start coming to people, which is pretty exciting. Um, the other important thing about this bill that's, that is exciting for college students um, is if you are an adult dependent, so if like your parents still claim you on their tax forms as a dependent, um, you and you also are like within the income brackets that the bill lays out, um, you will also be eligible for a stimulus check. And this is something that's been like pretty controversial. Not really among politicians because I don't think they really care about us, Um, but among college students and among adult dependents because um, adult dependents includes college students, um, so it includes anybody like over 17 um, whose parents are still claiming them, but also includes um, like senior citizens and older people. Um, So the fact that none of those people were getting stimulus before this is a little frustrating, but. Now, um, if you are classified as an adult dependent and you fall within the income brackets, you are eligible for a stimulus check. So um, that's important because it shows that, you know, they're actually thinking about us. And we were definitely a demographic that were very much left out from previous negotiations. So it's good that we're included now. Also important to mention with this. You know, the 18 to 21 age bracket, so, like, you know, kind of some somewhat of the majority of the, you know, adult-dependent classification, Um very low civic engagement, don't vote, don't pay attention to politics. Obviously, that's changed a lot in the past couple of years, um, but it's still, like, it, it's, it's a push to get, you know, 18 to 21s um, really registered to vote and voting actively, Um and, you know, this is what happens when you vote. Uh when 18 to 21-year-olds make their voices heard and they say, "Hey, we're voting for you, but you know, you need to include us in these conversations. Um you need to include us in these negotiations. You need to give us support. Actually support will come because we're voting and our voices are heard and they these politicians know that we're an important demographic that they need to be able to retain in order to continue winning elections in the future. So, you know, Soapboxing about voting, I don't think is particularly important, but um, yes, it's important to vote. It's important to make your voices heard so that politicians know that they can't just like sweep us under the rug. So that's kind of all I wanted to say about stimulus package. But it's great we have it. It's here. Um, we finally made it to a point where we were able to pass this giant package, and I'm sure that we will continue to see arguments around, you know, supplementing it, um, or, you know, passing another stimulus package a couple months down the line, depending on what happens with vaccinations and everything else. But, um, yeah, we're well on our way. So moving on to the next topic that I wanted to talk about, um, I want to talk about Joe Biden's cabinet picks. Um, so now that the stimulus package has been officially passed, um, it opens up a lot more room for, the Senate to really get going, like finishing up these confirmations, because obviously like having acting um, people in all of these cabinet seats is not great for governing. It's it's also just not great for like the legitimacy of the decisions that these people are making. So obviously really important to make sure that all of them are approved by the Senate. So, um, and again, now that the stimulus package is officially out of the Senate, it is law. Uh, They are really moving along with all of that um so as we know a lot of the big ones have already been confirmed secretary of state antony blinken got confirmed ages ago janet yellen got confirmed ages ago um but some new important ones that just got confirmed merrick garland um just got confirmed this week for uh, attorney general which is very exciting um merrick garland of course was the um you know, uh, President Obama's Supreme Court pick, um, that was, got held up from getting any kind of nomination hearings, uh, in the Senate because of Mitch McConnell saying that it was too close to an election. Of course, as we know, he reversed his opinion on that, um, to get Amy Coney Barrett, uh, you know, through the, um, through the Senate in, like, you know, a week so that she could, um, She could take her seat on the Supreme Court, like, two weeks before the election, but, you know, we won't get into that. Um, But anyway, Merrick Garland got approved, which is very exciting, because, you know, he deserved it. Um, We also have Deb Holland, who is still waiting for her confirmation. Um, She is trying to become the... First Native American uh, interior secretary. um, And there's been kind of a lot of controversy around her nomination um, because she is, you know, actually cares about the environment. Um, And a lot of people, including some moderate Democrats, would rather there be um, a interior secretary who at least pretended to care about like, oil and gas, um, but she does not pretend that she cares about oil and gas, and, you know, she is anti-fracking, which is, you know, uh, in opposition to Joe Biden's own policy platform, which I think is interesting, but regardless, there has been controversy around her nomination, Uh, but they are forcing her through, basically, um, and they just pushed her, uh, they just forwarded her nomination out of committee, and now it's going to vote by the full Senate, um, and that'll be a really, really exciting nomination if it does go through. Um, but I do think that that's going to be a little bit more of, like, a controversial debate in the Senate because, um, you know, again, Republicans and moderate Democrats are really, um, you know, committed to protecting the oil and gas and the fossil fuel industry where, you know, if we're really going to talk about climate change and making active action against climate change, we need, you know, an interior secretary and uh, other elected officials who are actually going to um, make an effort to, to, to roll back some of those restrictions. Um, yeah, and there's a bunch of other officials that are currently waiting for their um, approval in the Senate. Uh, two other interesting cases that I think are we need to bring up. Uh, one is Marsha Fudge, who is um, who has now been sworn in as the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Um, and she actually got through, I think it was like a, a sixty six to thirty four vote. Um, and so she did get through, but there was kind of controversy when she was going through her hearings um, because Republicans claimed that she didn't have enough experience in like the housing and urban development. Sector, um, which is hilarious. A hilarious thing for them to criticize because Ben Carson was the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. I don't know what experience he had. I also don't know what he did for the last four years. We literally didn't see him once. Um, and then we also have people like Betsy DeVos, who was the Secretary of Education, who didn't even send her own children to public schools. So I don't really know how. Republicans can criticize um, anybody for maybe not having like quote unquote as much experience um, in a spe- excuse me in a specific um, sector when they without question without a doubt approved um, elected or approved um, political appointees in 2016 who clearly had no experience and clearly like Betsy DeVos did not believe in public education. How are you going to support a nominee for secretary of education who doesn't think that public education should really be a thing and then spent four years, you know, working against public education. That's, you know, it's just the, the, it's this incredible double standard, um, between the Republican party and the Democrats, um, who, you know, it's the same thing with, uh, Neera Tanden, who, who was the nominee for, um, budget chief um and you know they criticized the republicans in the senate criticized her um a lot for you know past tweets of you know criticizing republican officials and saying kind of like you know nasty things about republicans um and the the, you know they had to end up withdrawing her nomination because they knew she wasn't going to get through um because for one Um, Joe Manchin was probably going to vote against her because um, Neera Tandon also tweeted some not so nice things about Joe Manchin's daughter. So that was like kind of a potentially like petty thing that might have happened. Um, And again, that double standard is wild. Like how can a party that supported Donald Trump and all of his nastiness on Twitter turn around and be like, oh no, your tweets are too mean. I can't let you be in this position that's insane that's a bonkers thing to say and to think and if you think about it for more than one second you will lose your mind um and this is just kind of what the republican party has kind of come to like we are just at this point where the republican party um can say and do whatever they want and have all of these crazy double standards and we can't say anything about it and like if we say anything about it there's just nothing we can do um and so i just think yeah, there's a lot to unpack with that and um again, I think this goes back to this constant struggle between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party where the even when the Republicans aren't in control, they are in control. You know, they have this control over the dynamics of the Senate, over the dynamics of politics in general. Like they're the ones who are setting the messaging. They're the ones who are setting the issues, um, even when Democrats are in control of all three parties, um, or all three, excuse me, they're in control of, you know, the House, the Senate, and the presidency. You know, why are we waiting to hear what Republicans say and then responding instead of being the ones who are setting the messaging, setting the issues that are going to be debated and then controlling that debate? You know, we do a lot of responding as opposed to being the ones who are, you know, setting out and, and, and. You know, creating the debate, um, so I just think that's an important thing to talk about, and just goes to show that like the Republican party they're good at messaging, they're good at campaigning for some like ungodly reason, and so we need to figure out a way that to, to like effectively combat that and combat their influence um and I don't know if we figure that out quite yet um and I think the next couple of years of governing you know, at least until the midterms, governing uh, with three branches, or the with the legislative branch and the executive branch under Democratic control, if the stimulus package is the only thing that they're able to pass, if they aren't able to get through any other big legislation, I think there's going to be a big reckoning within the um, Democratic Party about how the party is actually set up and whether or not it's still effective at creating legislation. At the same time, I'm not saying that the Republican Party is effective in any way um but I am saying that they are able to really stick to their messaging and they're able to really influence people with their messaging, despite the fact that their you know messaging is derogatory and insulting and serves to further divide the country instead of build the country back together. But I digress um I think that there is a big conversation to be had about that um And again, like, infighting within both parties, I don't know what's going to happen with that. I think that there's definitely a chance that the parties could split up. Um, I don't see that really happening because I think we're so tied to this concept of the two-party system that we are just, like, way too ingrained in that to actually move away from it. But I think that I personally, as I've said before, I think it could be very helpful to make our country a little bit more effective in the long term. So that's just what I want to talk about for the cabinet picks. Um, I think it's, again, it's important to to note things are being held up um, because of, you know, Republican hypocrisy um, within a lot of areas. So it's important to watch that and note when Republicans are doing things that they wouldn't have done if there was a Republican president. Um, and who knows if Democrats would have done it if there was a Republican president. I don't know. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about right here, right now. The Republicans approved people who didn't have experience in 2016. There's people maybe with not as much experience in 2020, and they are approving those people. It's just that straight-up hypocrisy there. Um, So I think it's important to bring that up and talk about it a little bit, and also to pay attention to how the um, government is shaping up, right? So it's only been 50 days of the Joe Biden presidency, and it's felt like an extremely long time, But 50 days is not that long, you know, so um, we're still waiting to see how this government is going to shape up and, you know, what those main policy positions and what the main platform is going to be. What are the priorities for this administration? Um, And we have an idea of what they're going to look like, but we haven't seen it all shape up yet. Um, And again, I think, you know, the passage of time is whatever we can talk about that. But um, we have yet you know 50 days is not a long time in terms of the four-year term that joe biden has um and in covid times we see the passage of time in a really different way so like you know a month and a half is like this it feels like a crazy crazy long time um but it really isn't and legislating takes a long time, you know, there's a lot of people in government, there's a lot of interest groups, there's a lot of important stakeholders that you need to bring into these conversations. Um, And so the best governing, in my opinion, takes some time, because you're bringing in all of the voices that are important to hear when you're making those decisions, you're talking to stakeholders, you're talking to interest groups, you are feeling out exactly what the most effective way to pass through that legislation is. um, And 50 days, you know, is is not that long of a time to be able to really create that legislation that's going to be super impactful. Um, and also it's not enough time to really figure out exactly the priorities of the administration. Um, and I think especially with all of the chaos that happened before inauguration with the riot and everything else, um, I think that there's an argument that, oh, well, he should have set all those priorities and she, he should have made all of these decisions like during the transition period. I just think that there was so much unknown during that transition period. Um, that I think it's okay that we give Joe Biden a little bit of grace and a little bit of uh time to make all of those priorities known. Um And so anyway, I that's a, another again, a little bit of a tangent, but I do think that it's important that we're to to note that we are continuing to watch this um government take shape, take form um and move on from the stimulus package because obviously that was everyone knew that was going to be the biggest first priority but now that that's over and done with what's next you know um and the complications with foreign policy and everything else um we just need to make sure that we are watching this government watching what's happening um and making sure that the campaign promises that he made um are going to continue he's going to continue living up to them um yeah, so that's, that's that's my little tangent on the government, the executive branch. It's coming together. Very exciting to see. Um, and personally, I'm just really happy for Merrick Garland. I think that he deserves it. And I'm excited that he finally, you know, like has his role within the federal government. So that's that on that. So the last thing I want to talk about today, last big topic that I want to talk about is covid and this is so i've talked about covid on like every episode so i'm gonna i'm gonna give this an official name i'm sure that i'm not the first person to come up with this so if by chance someone is listening to this and uh they get mad at me please don't sue me this is whatever like i please um but we're gonna call it covid coroner this is covid coroner once a week we're gonna talk about some covid updates um I just want to give it a name because I think that it'll be fun. Anyway, so as of the day you're hearing this, which is March the 13th, um, it has been, for me at least, uh, one year in lockdown. Um, And as of March 11th, we are at one year of the World Health Organization officially declaring this a pandemic. Um, So it's been a year and it has been a very, very, very weird crazy, insane year. Um, so like personally, beyond the political implications of all of this, which we can talk about for years, um, personally, this has been a kind of crazy year for me, of course. Um, I went into lockdown again, March of 2020. I was finishing up my senior year of high school. Uh, I watched, you know, all of my like senior events get canceled, no prom, no like graduation happened, but it was, you know, half the size. Um, you know, no senior trips, none of that, which like obviously is not important in relation to all of the other really insane things that happened and all the really, really scary, dark, bad things that happened. Um, but you know, I did, I I lost that part of my senior year. Um, I, you know, had to make my college decisions kind of at home alone with my family. I'm not kind of being surrounded by my friends at that time. Um, I moved out of my hometown um, for like, literally, I grew up in the same town my entire life. I moved during uh, quarantine. I started college. I then moved out. You know, I um, moved to... Washington DC where I am now so I'm like officially on my own um so it's been a crazy year and I've been doing a lot of you know reflecting on the past year of all of our lives um and I've been thinking about my own growth and I've been talking to some of my friends about it and I've been asking them you know if they feel that they were really changed by this year um and they were really impacted by this year or whether the growth that happened to them was just kind of like a natural thing um, or whether it was really influenced by the pandemic. And so like for me personally, again, like this year in my life, like in the class of the high school class of 2020's lives, uh, this was going to be a year of like, you know, self discovery anyway. Right. So graduating from high school, starting college, moving out, kind of being on our own for the first time is going to be an important, an important milestone in all of our lives anyway. But then on top of it, we were alone a lot. You know, we weren't able to experience that, like coming together of the end of senior year. We weren't able to make friends kind of in the same way um, that people usually are beginning of freshman year. Um, And that's something I've seen a lot with all of my friends is, yeah, we're in college. Yes, we're having those college experiences, but it's really not, it's not the same. Um, And so in a lot of ways, while we have um, grown and we've changed a lot, we've grown and changed a lot in a way that's very different from our peers who, who had these experiences before us. And you know no matter what happens with vaccinations and whatever happens next fall, I think that all of our lives are going to be very profoundly impacted by this year. Um, and I think um, our college experiences are going to be very profoundly impacted by this year. We are going to come in sophomore year basically as if for a lot of us uh, as if we were freshmen, and so you know how are we going to be able to build relationships? Um, are we going to still know how to build relationships? That's something that I've experienced, you know, moving out, um, being in a new place. I've had to start making friends again. One, first of all, for the first time in years, I've had to like meet new people and make new friends. Um, and not, you know, because I'm not going to school with the same people I've known since kindergarten. And second of all, we're having to make friends after a year of basically not seeing anybody. So we have these like real like social impacts of like personally speaking for myself i don't know how to interact with people anymore like i don't i don't know how to do small talk anymore because what i've been doing for the past year is talking to people that i already know talking to my family you know or you know meeting people over group me or over social media which is just not a a way to build profound connections in any sense you know like you you're just you can't you can't in my personal opinion I don't know how people are doing it but people are building these really profound connections over social media and they're coming to college with friends um which is really interesting that I think there might be a divide between people who were able to find that like set friend group um before college started or before we were able to get here in person and people who like myself personally like weren't able to build those, like, really, really strong connections or find, like, a really, really great friend group through GroupMe, you know, um, before college. So, anyway, there's the social implications, there's the political implications of the past year of our lives. Of course, there was the pandemic, and then there was um, all of the protests that happened over the summer, um, and it really, I think, caused a really big political awakening for a lot of people, especially people my age, um... Where we were going through this this self-discovery and making our decisions about college and and like watching the world change around us both personally and politically and socially so i think it's obviously fair to say that this year profoundly changed a lot of people um and i've personally seen among my peers of like an in an increased emphasis on activism um and you know, there's, there's, we can talk about the, the difference between, like, real activism and, like, quote-unquote slacktivism, so, you know, all of the Instagram infographics, um, that have been going around for the past several, several months, like, yes, it's not real activism, yes, it's not, like, creating profound change systemically, but it does mean that, um, people are more aware of different social issues and they're more interested in learning and they're more interested in helping other people learn about those same social issues. So, you know, an infographic on societal racism is not going to change anybody's opinions, but it might mean that um, there's, there's more people who can learn. There's more people who want to find the resources to learn. And in my opinion, that's a good thing. Um, and it's a good thing that people who I've seen who have not been political or who have not paid attention to politics um, in the past several years are now learning. And they 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 want to learn and they want to understand different societal issues that are going on in the world. Um, and of course, you have to supplement that with real activism. Um, and if you're not doing that, then what's the point? And you also need to supplement it with real personal change. So if you are racist in your everyday life, but then you post an infographic on your story about racism. Like you, you're, you're still racist. You're just, you know, being completely performative. But if you realize that you have made decisions in the past that have been negative and you recognize that you change it and you move on with your life, um, you, you know, you change that behavior in a way that's profound and that is going to impact the rest of your life. I think that that's great. I think it's good that people are learning. Um, And I think that's very powerful use of social media um, and a very powerful, unforeseen implication of the last year. Um, And I think that we've all, yeah. So I think we've all done a lot of growth, a lot of self-discovery. I can say for myself personally, I think that I've changed a lot in the last year. Um, And Maybe I wouldn't say that I'm a completely different person, um, but at the same time, I think I'm a lot more aware of myself. I'm a lot more aware of what I want and I'm a lot more aware of what I really, truly care about um, because I've had to spend a lot of time, just me, myself, and I, just just me knocking around the old brain. Um, and while that was bad for a long time, it also meant that I am a lot, I think I'm a lot more driven. I, I'm a lot more self-motivated now because I've had to be. Um, going to school online is very individual activity, um, and you need to be able to kind of do those things yourself. So I do feel like I'm a better person, but at the same time, like I said, I think that I socially um, am going to struggle coming back into the real world, um, because I've spent, again, so much time by myself, that I am able, I don't, you know, I think communicating and getting past the small talk is going to be a, a difficult thing for everyone. And I think that it's important that as a community and as a society we give each other grace um when coming back into social settings and not, you know, push so hard um to like build those connections back up to where they once were because it's going to take some time for us to come to terms with all everything that happened to us in the last year. Um and slowly build up our tolerance for being around large groups of people and being able to talk to people and being able to build prof- those profound connections again. So I think that that's an important thing to think about. And I think that the transition back into real life that's coming, it's around the corner. Um, vaccine Vaccinations are, are, are going so fast. I can't wait. May 1st, I'm eligible. Um, I think that it's important that we all, you know, have a group understanding about how difficult it's going to be for all of us to come back into real life. Um, And again, we just give each other some room to grow and to come back into ourselves um, because there's no way that who we were back in March 13th of 2020 is the same person that we are today, March 13th, 2021. Um, So that was heavy. And not super political, but I felt the need to talk about it because, again, this has been a wild, bonkers year, um, and we've gotten so used to it. We've, this is, you know, everyone's saying not the new normal, but it, it kind of is. We're at that point that it's been a full year, and it is the new normal for us to be going to school online and working online and, and being at home so much um, that I think it's important that we address this, where where, where we are now where we've been and you know where we're going. So hopefully in a couple of months we will all be vaccinated and we will be able to go back out into society and and hopefully I am in school in person in in uh, the fall and we can all you know use use this year of self-discovery to make the rest of our lives a little bit better. So that was heavy. And um, a little upsetting. But now we're on to my favorite segment of the week, which is the nonsense political story of the week. So I've got two. And one is a little heavier, a little bit of a rant. And the other one, I think, is just funny. So first one is Republicans just, like, talking about anything but the real issues. So in the past week, we had like Dr. Seuss getting canceled and some of his like older like racist books are being discontinued which is like whatever like okay good like they're they're racist books why are we still promoting them in the first place anyway um we also had Mr. Potato Head rebranding to just Potato Head um and then we also I'm not going to get into it too much because it's not necessarily political and it's also like way too long of a story to talk about but we had the Meghan markle and prince harry sit down with oprah this week um so we had these three like you know the Meghan markle story is a little bit heavier but in terms of american politics um it was you know dr seuss mr potato head and this this deep protection of the british monarchy that the republicans were talking about all week Versus, you know, the stimulus package and confirmations of different um, um, fi- officials in the executive branch or like COVID. No, every single Republican commentator this week was talking about pure nonsense, pure nonsense. I-, I, Tucker Carlson, I do not want to hear your take on Dr. Seuss. I do not want to hear your take on Mr. Potato Head rebranding to just Potato Head. I also don't want to hear your take on anything else. I would rather never see your face ever again. But the point is, like, talk about the real issues. And, you know, it's all these people who are, like, oh, my gosh, cancel culture. Oh, my gosh, everyone's a snowflake. Blah, blah, like, liberals are such snowflakes. They're so sensitive. Blah, 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 blah. And then a children's toy decides to rebrand, and they're all losing their minds on cable television. I just... I just truly can't be bothered with that. It's so frustrating and it's so dumb. Like if you think about it for one one minute, it will truly make your head explode. Um so anyway, that's my that's my slightly ranty um political story, nonsense political story. I'm I'm sick of Republican commentators opening their mouths. Um and my second story of the week is about Joe Biden's dog, Major um and the, the both of his dogs were um sent back to their home in Delaware because um Major I mean the the original story was like Major Biden like bits bit someone in the in the West Wing and blah blah blah. Um and it ended up being that Major Biden like nipped at someone because Major was a little stressed out because there were so many people. And there was, like, no bleeding, there was no blood, there was nothing. Um, but the, you know, Joe and Jill said, you know, maybe, maybe we need to give them a little bit of break from all the people and the cameras and this and that um, and send them back to Delaware. I just think that the story is hilarious because people were freaking out. They were like, oh my gosh, Major took off someone's arm. Um, Majors, crazies, crazy dog, and it's, like, not that big of a deal at all. And this goes right into my first nonsense political story of the week, because this was just another Republican distraction from talking about the real issues. Instead of talking about the stimulus package, they were like, is, does Major Biden have rabies? Should Joe Biden put Major down? Like, oh my god, calm down, first of all. Well, first of all, calm down. Second of all, like, talk about anything else. Like, it's, it's... Just such a hilarious thing that that Joe Biden's dogs are such at the forefront of the news cycle. For, like, several hours or, like, a couple days, they were just... It, it was something that people were, like, actively talking about. And, you know, I, I, I think it's hilarious that they spent such a long time talking about the dogs and about Dr. Seuss and talking about Mr. Potato Head and Meghan Markle, and they were not really discussing... What they should have been, which was the fact that there were major policy shifts happening within the American government. But anyway, all I know is that is justice for Major Biden. Justice for Major Biden. Bring him back to the White House. He did nothing wrong. Okay? He needs an Oprah sit down. Okay? I I, I believe Major. Anyway, with that, uh, that is the end of this episode of Sheep Thrills. Thank you again for listening, I appreciate it, this is a fun one to record, Um, and I will be back next week for more political nonsense, Um, and I hope that you guys all have an amazing week, and hopefully you enjoy your stimulus checks when you get them in your bank accounts. Thank you very much, and have a great week, bye!